Good morning. How's everyone doing? We stand with our heart, arms abandoned and raised up to God and surrendering our souls and our hearts and our minds to him. Amen? That's the way God wants us to surrender ourselves to him. As we come before the Lord today in his word, we surrender our hearts and minds to him again in that too. Well, it's good to have all of you here today, and hopefully I enjoyed worshiping this morning. If you have your Bibles, if you could turn them to Hebrews chapter 13, and just one verse in verse 4. We're going to continue in our series, Acceptable Sins in Our World, things that are not accepted by God, but are accepted by our world, and accepted many times inside of the church. And we've talked about destructive speech, we've talked about consumerism, we've talked about gluttony, about being content. And this week, we're going to talk about the topic of sexual freedom. And many times when you talk about this, people kind of get tense and, oh, no, what's he going to say and stuff like that. But here's my goal this morning. Hope that you will walk away from here not knowing what the church believes and not knowing what I believe, but you're going to walk away with here with your hearts and minds wrapped around Hebrews chapter 13 here, verse 4, because this is what God says. And this is our memory verse for today. This is what God says, not what I say. Not what the church says, but this is what God says. And he says, marriage should be honored by all, in the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. God says it all right there. So if you have your outlines ready, I want to give you three reasons we should honor the gift of marriage. And this message is going to be very simple, very straightforward, and very clear. Probably you, you know everything I'm going to say. I mean, not know how I'm going to say it, but you're going to understand everything I'm going to say for three reasons, but it, but it needs to be a reminder to all of us, all of us. Three reasons we should honor the gift of marriage. Number one, marriage is a beautiful gift from God. Amen? It's a beautiful gift from God. And he said marriage should be honored by all. And what I want to do, I want to take three words from that little line there, and I want to zero in on them, focus on those three words. And the first one is marriage, what it says about marriage. In, in 2015, the Supreme Court of our country issued a statement on marriage that redefined marriage in our country. It redefined it. It says they weren't happy with the Bible's definition, and the people said, we want a new definition of what marriage is. And so they did that. And today, if you would ask the average person on the street, what is marriage? How would you define marriage? You're going to get all kinds of answers. And most of them probably are not going to be biblical answers, right? But we may change the laws of our country, but God's moral law does not change. Amen? It does not change. As a matter of fact, it is God who instituted marriage. Not the state, not the country, not the government. God instituted the marriage. This is his institution. He created it. So he has the standard on it, right? Not the church, not the, not the country. Not, God instituted it. Number two, God said that marriage involved two people. In Genesis chapter 1, God calls them male and female. In Genesis chapter 2, he calls them a man and a woman. So it's two people in marriage, a man and a woman. Amen? A man and a woman. Number three, it says marriage is for life. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 19, Therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. Marriage is for life. And that's how God introduced it to Adam. That's exactly what he did. He didn't tell Adam, Adam, look, I, I gave you Eve, and if you don't like her, I'll try again. Or he didn't say, hey, Adam, uh, you, you know, you got to be really messed, you got to be really upset with Eve. She kind of messed up your life. She took from the fruit from the tree, then she gave you some, and you took from it, and she messed up your life. So if, if you, I, I can understand you want to get rid of her, you want someone new, I understand that. But that's not what God said, right? That's not what God said. God said, I instituted marriage. It's between two people, a man and a woman, and it is for life. 
He also gave us the purpose for marriage. He gave us the purpose. He made it for companionship. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, you notice I'm getting a lot of uh, passages from Genesis. That God hasn't changed his mind from Genesis all the way to the New Testament. He's not changed his mind. Genesis 2.18 says, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. He made marriage for companionship. We can be companions together. He made it for intimacy in Genesis 2.25. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. You can't get more intimate than it was described in that passage, that verse right there, can you? Than what it says right there. He also made it for reproduction. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, where he says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. He said that again in Genesis chapter 9, after the flood to Noah and his wife. He said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Marriage is also a beautiful picture of Christ in the church. You get that from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, verse 30 through 33, where Jesus says, I love the church. I laid down my life for the church. I've given everything for the church. And it gives a beautiful picture of Jesus and his bride, the church, is what we see. And that's a whole message in itself. So biblical marriage is instituted by God, not by the state, not by the government, not by a country, not by the world, not by our culture, but by God. And it's based on his principles, not anyone else's, right? Amen? So it's based on his principles. The second word I want us to notice is the word honored. It says honored. Marriage should be honored. That word honored means to hold in high esteem or have great value is what it's saying. In fact, the same word tr- is translated in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6, talking about Jesus, who is the precious cornerstone. And that same word is translated in 2 Peter chapter 1, 1, talking about our faith, our, our precious faith it talks about. So he says in Hebrews, marriage should be honored. And he says, I want you to look at marriage as precious that it has great value. That's how God wants us to look at marriage, that it's precious, it has great value. Something God instituted, and he brought people together. So how should we show a value in marriage? Let me give you a couple ways. Show honor by keeping the marriage vow. You made a vow, keep it. You want to show honor and, and value to the marriage? Keep the vow that you made. No one forced you to make it, you made it, and he says keep it. That's how you show honor. Second, we show honor by showing value to our mate, to our spouse. I'm amazed that sometimes when I hear husbands and wives talking or arguing, or to hear a, a spouse talk about their spouse in front of others cutting them down. It amazes me that I hear that many times, where you hear someone cutting their spouse down or being sarcastic about them. Listen to me. If you have problems with your spouse, talk to your spouse about that, but do that in private, right? Don't do that in front of everybody else. When you're talking about your spouse, your mate, to anyone else out there in public, doesn't matter who it is, your parents or anyone, you should always praise them, encourage and build them up. No one should be able to hear anything you say negative about them because the enemy, Satan, will use that as a wedge between you and your spouse. He will use that against you somehow in that person's life. Always talk positive about them, always building them up because that's what God wants us to do. If we're going to honor our marriage, says marriage should be honored. It means we're going to show honor by caring for the other person. We're going to build them up. We're going to praise them in front of other people. By looking at our spouse as someone special. Look at them as God's gift to us. That's what marriage is. It's a gift. And we don't want to see them hurt by us saying bad things and cutting them down. We don't want to see them destroyed by anything, right? Am I right? Yes, yes, you're right. That's how we should be. 
Let me give you one more word from this phrase that we should look at. It says marriage should be honored by all. We need to honor our own marriage and look at their gift from God that they're special, right? They're special and they're precious. Our marriage is precious. We also need to look at our friend's marriage as special and precious. That we don't want to get in the way of our friend's marriage. We don't want to get between our friend's marriage. None of us do. And maybe you say today, well, I'm single. That doesn't apply to me. Yes, it does. It does apply to you. You're to honor other people's marriage, even if you're single. Don't ever let Satan use you to divide someone else's marriage, because he'll do that. He'll do it very subtly. Don't ever let Satan do that, because those marriages are precious to God. All of them are. They're all precious to God, and they're special to him. So don't allow someone to use you to divide someone else's marriage. And don't do it to your friend. Don't do it to anyone. Uh, Don't ever let him use you. Why should we honor the gift of marriage? The second point, as I said, this is very straightforward. The second reason we should honor the gift of marriage, because marriage is the only context for sexuality, the Bible gives us. The only context. I want to no- you notice a couple more words from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. It says, marriage should be honored by all in the marriage bed. He calls it the marriage bed. It simply refers to sexual relationship in marriage. That's the marriage bed. Sexual relationship in the marriage bed. God anticipated that married, cu- married couples will come together and have sexual relationships. He says that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, I just shared that with you, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. He says it again in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he says, tells the husband, don't hold your body from your wife. Tells the wife, don't hold your body from your husband. He says that. Now, now look what he says, the marriage bed. He didn't say the engagement bed. He didn't say the companionship bed. He didn't say the boyfriend bed. He didn't say the the girlfriend's bed. He said the marriage bed is what he said. Simply, marriage bed. According to God, there are boundaries in marriage that are boundaries, and there's also boundaries in sexual relationships is what he's saying here. And I, I know that's contrary to our culture. I know that's contrary to what our world believes. I know it's contrary to what you see on television. It's contrary to what you see in the movies. It's contrary to what you find on the internet. Facebook and social media, even contrary to sometimes in Christians. But this is God's principles, and he calls it the marriage bed. Let let me share this. I'm going to share it a little bit later, but it's so important that we understand this. Sometimes as Christians, we listen to the world, we're bombarded with the world. And young people, you're bombarded with the world, what they have to say about marriage, sexual relationships, and everything goes out there in the world. And we're bombarded with that constantly. And so when we come to the Word of God as a believer in Jesus Christ, sometimes what we allow to happen is we allow our culture to interpret the Word of God, to interpret this. And when we do that, we start to listen to what culture has to say. Now I need to find a passage to support what they're saying. So we go to the Bible, we try to find a passage. What happens? We start taking things out of context. We start compromising Scripture to make it say what they're saying out there. And we've allowed the culture to interpret the Word of God. We can never do that. It will always get us in trouble. It will always get us to be disobedient to God. We've got to allow the Word of God, the Bible, to interpret culture. The Word of God is our judgment over culture. It's our standard over culture. And so we need to have this. And, and so what the culture is saying is about marriage and about sexual relationships is a lot different than what the Bible says. Amen? It's a lot different. So who are we going to listen to? We have to listen to the Bible and God's standard. And maybe you're here and you're saying, but you, Pastor, you don't understand. This Bible was written a couple thousand years ago. It's out of date. Things have changed over this time. It's changed so much, and, and our culture's just different. 
Let me share a little bit about God so you understand who he is. First off, you know that God is eternal, right? He's never had a beginning, and he will never have an end. And our God is omniscient. He knows all things. Our God is omnipresent. He's everywhere all the times, and he's omnipotent. He has all power. Another thing about God is God does not change. He doesn't change. The way God was thousands of years before is the way God is today, the way he's going to be thousands of years in the future. He doesn't change. That our God, do you believe that our God is able to write a book that's for good for all times, all places, and all ages? And that's what he's wrote here. He's wrote this because he does not change. So when he wrote about marriage way back in Genesis and told us this is the way marriage is, this is the standard, God says it doesn't change. Why doesn't it change? The culture changes because God doesn't change. God's standards do not change over time, over ages, over places. It's the same everywhere you go around the world, in the universe, no matter where you go. It's the same, will be the same 10,000 years from now. It's the same because God does not change. So his standard for marriage, it doesn't have to change. Your culture may change what they're saying about it, but God does not change the way he views on it. It's still the same. Do you understand? It's still the same. So we have to allow the Word of God to interpret culture, and when culture goes against the Word of God, we have to follow it because God does not change. We cannot change with the shifting ways of the culture. we got to stay with what the Word of God says. And so another word that I want us to look at is this, the marriage bed be kept pure. Pure means to be unpolluted, free from stain. It literally means to be free from unlawful sexual relationship, what he's talking about. Let the marriage bed be free from unlawful sexual relationship. So is it possible to have a bed that is pure and undefiled? Yes, it is. So if, if it is, then it's possible to have a bed that is impure and defiled. So how do you defile a marriage bed? How do you defile a bed? You get the wrong people in bed. As simple as that, right? Simple. The Word of God is very clear on this. It's very straightforward. We don't have to put things in between. It's very straightforward. You get the wrong people in bed before, they're, before they get married. Rather than in their own bed, you have the wrong people in bed. If you get people in bed with somebody else's wife or somebody else's husband, you have the wrong people in bed, and they polluted the bed. They polluted the marriage bed is what the Bible is saying. And, now, I've heard young couple stories, and I've heard people say, you know, uh, we are living together because we're trying to save money because we're trying to save money, we're trying to build a future and all that. And just think about this, that one day you stand before God in heaven and you say, God, uh, we knowingly and willingly broke your commands because we needed money. We're short on cash, God, we needed money. And God looks at you and says, uh, where are you standing right now? Look down where you're standing, on streets of gold. And God says, I have more money than I can spend. All you had to do was ask me for it and trust me I would have provided with you somehow. You don't, you don't get money by breaking my commands. That's not the way you get money. That's not the way you get God's blessing, by breaking his commands. We can never justify breaking God's commands because it, we are forced to, or we believe it's for the greater good in our lives. We can never do that. The greater good is always, let me say it again, always to obey God's commands. So if you're looking in your life, you say, boy, that I, I need to accomplish this in my life, and to do this, I've got to go against God's word. I've got to disobey God's commands. To accomplish God's purpose, plan, and his will for my life. No, God will never ask you to do that. If you're breaking God's command, you're doing your own will, or you're doing what Satan wants you to do, not what God wants you to do. God's plan and his purpose and will is always, not sometimes, it's always his plan, purpose, and will is for you to obey his word. As you're carrying out and living your life, 
Always. He will never, ever, ever ask you to disobey his word or compromise it in any way to carry out his purpose, his plan, and his will for your life. So if you feel like you have to do that, you're not doing God's will. You're not doing his plan for your life. It's very important we understand that. God will never have us compromise his, will, his, his word. He will never have us do that to accomplish his will in our life. Never, ever. So maybe you say we need to find out if we are compatible. That's what, that's what we need to live together, see if we're compatible. There was an article that I read a while back, and it said that a couple that does not live together prior to getting married has about a 2% chance of getting divorced in the first five years. But it said a couple that's lived together before marriage, that number jumps to 49% chance of getting divorced in the first five years. So you can't use the excuse, you want to find out if you're compatible, right? You can't use that excuse, it doesn't work. You know, I, I don't think Adam and Eve are very worried about being compatible. They just kind of figured it out. They just worked it out, whatever it was, right? They just worked it out. And, and we, we get to know each other through the dating process. That's what the dating process is all about. But once you get married, you work it out. And if you have problems, you go humble yourself and you go get marriage counseling and have other people work with you to work out your problems. That's what we're supposed to do, to work it out, to work with others and, and work it out between our mates. There, then maybe you say, how will I know that she's the right one or he's the right one? How am I going to know? If you have your Bibles, if you can turn very quickly, otherwise you can listen to me read it, turn to Psalm 139, verse 13 through 16. It's a wonderful, amazing verse, what, what it says here. Psalm 139, verse 13 through 16. It's remarkable. It's a psalm by David. David writes, at least we think David wrote it. And uh, it says this. If you haven't found there, I hear pages shuffling there. It's right about in the middle of your Bible. Open up your little Bible. If you're at Isaiah, you've got to go back to the left. If you're at Chronicles, you've got to go back to the right. But it's right there. Uh, Psalm 139, verse 13 through 16. And David writes, For you, mean for God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret places, when I was woven together in the depths of, my, of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days adorned for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I want you to see something that's amazing in this passage, what he's saying here. At the very last verse of verse 16, it says, I, I, I was being, while I was being formed in my mother's womb, he's saying, God had set every day in motion for me. And he did the same thing for you, that you were being created in your mother's womb. God has set my life in motion, and he has our, every, every day already planned out for me in my life. That God says, I'm going to provide for all your needs. All you have to be is be guided by me. Let me direct you. Let me lead you. Just follow me. All your days are planned out, but you've got to follow me. That's what God is saying. So if God has you getting married, he's done the same thing for your husband or your future husband or wife, right? So he's already got you compatible with them before you're ever even born. God knows what he's doing, amen? He knows what he's doing. He has it all set out what the Bible says. It's not by chance. God knows what he's doing. He has a plan out. That's why he could write this book from the beginning to the end and tell you and I how the end's going to come about because he already knows, because he planned it. Nothing's happening without God allowing it, without God orchestrating things to happen. He allows these things to happen. So we look at this, and you say, well, how do we get together? How do we get together? And that's God's will. But if you want to help, it always, it always amazes me that people that say young people or even other people that are, are single, they want to find a spouse. They say, well, where do I go to find a spouse? Someone that loves Jesus. Someone that wants to walk with Jesus and live for Jesus. That I can find someone like that. Uh, where do you think you should go find someone like that? 
at church. Seems like the most obvious place. Not that we have to help God out. Seems our, or you go to the Christian events, concerts and Christian ministry events if you want to find someone like that. That's where you're going to find someone that loves Jesus, right? That's what we're supposed to do. God knows what he's doing, but we have to trust him. Psalm 37, verse 4 and 5. I read just Psalm 37, verse 4 last week. It says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Your desires have to be matched up with God's will. That's what we have to understand. Your desires of your heart, God wants to match up with his will. That's what he wants for your life. But it goes on in verse 5, and it says, Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will do this, is what it says. We have to trust God in his ways. We have to trust God in his ways. And don't try to make things happen by breaking God's commands in the Bible. So many times we think, well, I've got to make this happen. I know this is what should happen. So we think we can compromise God's word in some way. Don't ever do it because that's not God's will. That's not his purpose, his plan for you. God will not have you compromise his word or break his commands or go against or be disobedient to God in his word. He will not have you do that ever, ever. God will not tempt you that way ever. If it is, it's your own flesh, it's your own, your sinful nature, or it's Satan, the enemy doing that. Don't ever, ever think that's God. God wants you to obey him completely in all areas of your life and everything. God wants you to obey. That's his purpose, plan, and will to obey him. That's what he wants in all areas of our life is to do that. The third reason we should honor the gift of marriage, and here's, here's a big one. Sex outside of marriage puts yourself under God's judgment. That couldn't be any clearer. Let's get back to the passage in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. It says, For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Sexually immoral refers to any kind of sexual relationship out of the, outside of the context of marriage is what it's talking about. In fact, it's, it comes from the Greek word where we get our word pornography from, the same word. One of the fastest growing addictions of unfaithfulness in our generation is pornography. And some people says, oh, it's not a big deal. There's, there's nothing wrong with it. Pornography is addictive. It's very addictive. But once you start, you can't stop. The book of Proverbs tells us in Proverbs 27, verse 20, it said, man's eyes are never satisfied. Yet you start it, and you can never get enough. You want more and more. And it usually leads to action, physical actions. But it's not only men. You know, sometimes we think of pornography, we think it's men, but it's women too. And that's growing. It's women too. So it's temptations on both sides that we have that. To stay away from it, it's wrong. The second word we need to look at is adulterer. What that means, those who are unfaithful to the marriage vow. You put those two words together, you have, you have before you every possible kind of relationship outside of marriage that is wrong or that is sin that we should not do. Sexual immorality or adultery is wrong that we should not do. The Bible comes out and says it. Sex outside of marriage, listen to me, it is wrong, it's sinful. Sometimes in the church that we think that God's all right with that, and it gives a wink, and it's, it's all right in this context. You know, for me in my life, it's all right. No, it's not. And since I'm preaching the Word of God, i got to give it to the truth. It's not right. It's not right. Sex outside of marriage is not right in any context, any way, any, any way. It's not right. And here's why. The Bible gives us the reason why it's not right. And it's the third thing we need to notice in verse 4. For God will judge. The Bible tells us in verse 4. It's a basic principle of life that if you break the law, you're going to have to pay the consequence, right? That's what the Bible says. It's very simple. And if you're speeding and you're stopped by the police, you may be all upset, tell the police the sign's too small, it's a stupid law, it should be faster. You may argue about all kinds of things, but sooner or later he's going to write out the ticket, he's going to give you the ticket, right? Because you broke the law. Same thing. It, 
God has a law. God has a basis for principle in marriage and his standard in marriage. And if you violate it, there's going to be a consequence is what he says. I want to give you a verse that's a, a basic principle in life that everyone should know. It's Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. Write it down. It's one that you should memorize. You should understand and know this principle because it's for every area in our life. It says this. Let me read verse 7. It says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. You can ask any farmer. We have some farmers in here. A farmer will tell you that if you plant, if you sow soybeans, you don't reap corn. Am I right? Am I right? You don't reap corn, right? You plant soybeans, sow soybeans. You don't reap. If you sow corn, you're not going to reap wheat, right? The basic principle, that's what God gives us. This is the basic principle in all of life. That's what he's saying. And that's what he's saying in verse 8. We get to verse 8. So the one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. God tells us, this is what you're going to reap. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. He tells us that. He tells us exactly what's going to happen. Before we do it, whatever you sow is what you're going to reap. You sow to the sinful nature, you're going to reap that. Destruction, you sow to the, the, the life in Christ, you're going to reap that. So the book of Hosea, chapter 8, verse 7, God is talking to Israel who turned their back on God, and he says to them, he says, you have sown to the wind, and now you're going to reap the whirlwind. There's a consequence coming. There's a consequence for what you've done is coming. And there's a consequence. And maybe you ask, you're looking at this morning, say, man, pastor, are you judging us? No. You say, pastor, are you trying to tell us what we can't do and can do? Is that do's and don'ts? No, I'm not doing that. But God is. God wrote Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. I didn't. He wrote this. And there is this standard for marriage that God made. And he did it because he loves us. He did it for our own benefit. He wrote it because he loves us. And he said it's for our own benefit that you understand the boundaries that we have to have in marriage. He's wrote it so you and I would be happy in our, in our marriage, husband and wife relationship, in our marriage relationship. He wrote it so we'd be happy as boyfriend and girlfriend. We live in these boundaries because God knows in these boundaries of this marriage, there has to be boundaries. There has to be standards. Because if you break these standards, people are going to get hurt. You can destroy people's lives. And if you know of anybody that's, that's happened in their life, you not just only hurt those two people, but it hurts their children, the grandchildren, the parents, the grandparents, the cousins, the friends. It's just a wave. And God knows that. So God gave boundaries. And he says, this is the way I want you to live in marriage. This is the way I want you to live as boyfriend and girlfriend. This is the way I want you to live that will glorify me, that will bring me glory. And this is the way you will demonstrate who you are in Jesus Christ that will bring me glory and be obedient to me. And God does not compromise on that, and he doesn't apologize for it. This is his word. This is what he says. That's where to live like that. I don't know where you are this morning with this. I have no idea. And as I said, I'm coming to you in love. I'm not trying. I'm just trying to give you the word of God. We're talking about acceptable sins in our world and acceptable sins many times in the church. It surprises me, but you find that in the church. Uh, before we close, I want to give you four things that you might take serious before we close. Four things that's not in your outline. The first one, if you're not living right before God, either what we're talking about today or about any of these messages in this series that we're going to be talking about or anything else, first thing was we must agree with God that we are living in sin. We must agree with Him that we're living in. If you're disobeying God's moral law, we have to come to Him and agree with God that we're doing that right. And we come back to 1 John 1, 9, You've all heard me say this verse. Hopefully you've got it memorized. It's a great promise that God has given to us that if we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That word confess means you agree with God. That's all it means, you agree with God. God already knows what you're doing. He already knows it's sin. You don't have to come and, God, guess what I'm doing? God already knows it. All you do, confession, is that I come and it's agreement with God. And maybe today you come and, and what we've talked about today, say, you know, God, I haven't held my marriage vow because I haven't treated my spouse as someone precious or, or special. I haven't looked at my spouse as a, as a gift from God. And maybe I have been talking bad about and cutting them down around others, and I've done that, and you're right and I'm wrong, and I need to confess that. Or maybe you come today and you turn and say, God, I've defiled the marriage bed. What I've done is wrong, and I realize that you're right and I'm wrong, and I'm here to confess what I've done today, right, that we confess those things. But then, then comes the grace of God in Romans chapter 5, verse 20. It's a great verse where it says this, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. God's got the grace to cover our sin. God's got the grace to reach down and touch your lives and touch other people's lives. The cross is bigger than any sin. The cross of Jesus, the Bible tells us, cleanses us from all sin, no matter what we've done, right? doesn't mean we go on sinning, but we realize the grace of God. And God is a God of mercy. The grace of God touches every area of our life, and the cross of Jesus is big enough to cover all of our sins. So we're not stuck in our sins. We're not stuck there. Oh, man, I've done this, and I'm stuck. No, the grace of God can heal us. He's got the, got the grace to cover it. The blood of Jesus covers all sin. In the book of Isaiah, in chapter 1, God talks to Israel about how disobedient they have been before him, and how they turned their backs, and how wrong they have been, and, and he tells them of that. And then you know what he says, and it's beautiful. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18, he looks to Israel and he says, Come now, let us reason together. He says, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they're as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Isn't that beautiful? That God says this to a, a rebellious nation. He says to them, says, come, but come down. And maybe Jesus is speaking to you this morning about what I've shared with this morning, about any of the message in this series, or something else. And he's convicted you of something in your life, in your heart, and, and he says, this sin you need to confess. And he's saying, come. But come now. Don't put it off. Come now and confess it. And the Bible says that when we confess our sins, that God is faithful to forgive us our sins, and he will remember them no more. The Bible says he cast them as far as the east is from the west and part of the deepest ocean. That's what he's promised to us. First John 1, 9, he's promised to forgive us our sins and not hold them against us, never to bring it up again. And if we come and we agree with him that it's sin and we confess it, then we have to come and confess it. So if we have anything, if we're living in sin, we have to agree with God that it's sin. We have to confess it. That's number one, okay? We all have to do that. God already knows you're doing it. Don't think, well, I'm hiding it from God. You might be hiding it from other people, but you're not hiding it from God. He knows everything you're doing. He knows it before you do it, what you're going to do. He knows what you're doing. Number two, and this one I kind of touched on before, we must ask God to help us change our pattern of thinking. The problem that is happening in our society and happening with so many Christians today is we're allowing the world to form our thinking. We're allowing society to do that. We're, we're thinking like the world. We hear what the world is saying, and we're agreeing with them, and we're following the world, and they're, they're leading us, and it should never be that way. The Christians, the church is always supposed to be leading. And, and he tells us in Hebrew, I mean, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We have to start thinking 
differently, right? That's what we have to do. And we have to start thinking about God and his word. And not about our culture. Not about our society, what you're thinking. We have to allow the word of God and God to transform our hearts and our minds. So it means that you and I have to get into the word of God. We have to be here on Sunday to hear the messages and, and, and grow. We have to get in here in this and be in small group Bible studies and stuff like that so we can grow and stuff like that. But we have to get into this. This is our guide. This is the book that God has given to us. Now that you're saved, he goes, this is how I want you to live. This is the standard of what you have to live by. It's God's standard. This is my principles. These are my precepts. Read it. How are you going to understand it if you don't know it? If we say, oh, I'm saved and everyone covered. No, how do you know you're covered? How do you know the promises of God? How do you know to not yield to that temptation? How do you know what sin is? It's through the word of God. We understand God's principles. And so we have to have our minds and hearts transformed by the renewing of our mind, getting into the word of God. One thing that memorization does, renews our mind. And when our minds get renewed, our hearts start to change, and then our outside actions begin to change, right? That's what God wants to do. We have to start thinking differently. Number three, must deal with whatever is causing us to live in disobedience to God, whatever it may be. Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, and he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 and 19, he says to flee from sexual immorality, just to run from it. So what's causing you to live in disobedience to God? What is it? It may not just be sexual immorality. It might be something else. Is it a person? You need to deal with that. Is it your computer? Is it your smartphone? You need to deal with that. Is it a friend? You need to deal with that. Is it your reading material? You need to deal with that. Whatever it is, he says, flee sexual immorality, he tells us. If Paul is writing to Timothy, and Timothy's a young man, and he says this to him in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. He says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the, on the Lord out of a pure heart. He says, Timothy, in other words, he says, Timothy, how fast can you run? When sexual temptation comes, you're to run the opposite direction, flee. And so many times when sexual temptation comes or flirtation comes, we stand there and say, well, I'm going to be strong enough to stand up underneath this, and I'm going to yield that temptation, and I'm not going to give in. The Bible doesn't tell us to do that here. It tells us to flee when sexual temptation comes. Run in the opposite direction. Run from it. Don't try to endure it because sometimes we might be weak and yield to that. He says the best case in that is to run. So don't put yourself in those positions. Don't put yourself in that place. But flee from it. Stay part, way far from that because all of us have our weakness and we might yield to that. So God says, don't even put yourself in that, but flee from it. Stay far from it. Next, we must ask God to help us view marriage from his point of view. That it's precious. That it's special. That it has great value. And God's view is marriage is a gift from him. We have to look at it that way. And God instituted marriage. He set up the principles. I didn't. The church didn't. The government didn't. The state didn't. Our country didn't. God did. This is his institution. He has a right to say what he expects, what he doesn't expect. He has a right to say, here's the standard. Here's the principle of it. You know, I have a lot to learn, but there's some things that I do know. You don't want to waste your pre-marriage days in willful disobedience to God. You don't want to waste those days. You don't want to do that. You don't want to begin your marriage under the hand of God. You want to begin your marriage in the hand of God. Amen? We have to follow God's principles that he has for us in marriage. I I'm telling you, life is so much easier when we follow God's principles. It's so much easier when we're obedient to the word of God, isn't it? 
We get in all kinds of trouble because we think we know better than God. Oh, God, I'm in this area. I'm going to do it my way. And we get ourselves in all kinds of trouble. And God warns us over and over, there will be a consequence. There will be a consequence. Don't do it. But sometimes we think that we know what's best, that we're going to do this. Life is already tough because of the world and the difficult the circumstances. We make it more complicated when we disobey God. Let's obey him and watch the freedom that it gives us. Watch how it enriches our, our relationships that God knows. He knows that we have. He says, I want your relationship to be the best it can be, but it will only be the best it can be when you follow my principles. So we have to follow what God says. In a moment, I'm going to pray. And if you're here today and you say, boy, I've got some things that are going on, maybe about this message, maybe it's about some of the messages in this series, about something else is in your life, and God is stirring in your heart, so I could really use some prayer. I could really use to talk to somebody about some of the things that go on in my life. The Bible tells us to come, but it tells us to come now. Don't wait. Don't put it off. You don't know what tomorrow may bring. But right now, if God is speaking to your heart and mind, it means to come now. Come today. Take care of it now. Confess it today. Have someone pray with you today. Whatever it means. But come, come now. The same thing he said to Isaiah, to Israel. Come, but come now. If you don't know Jesus yet, if you're here, you don't know him as your Savior, that's your first step. That's your first step in obedience to accept what Jesus Christ did for you upon the cross. That he died for you upon the cross. That's what you need to understand. And that's God's grace. Jesus died for you upon the cross, and he paid for all your sins, all your past, all your present, and all your future sins have been paid for by Jesus. And you and I have to respond to God's grace. And our response is to understand that we're all sinners. Everyone, I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. And because we're sinners, we stand. There's a gap between us and God. And so we come, and we understand that Jesus Christ is God. He's the Son of God. And that he died on the cross for our sins. He paid for our sin debt. He was our substitute on the cross. We come when we accept Jesus' payment for our sins. And we do that by faith, just by simply coming to God. I know I'm a sinner. I know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And today, I put my faith and my trust in Jesus, that he died for me. I trust him as my Savior. If you've never done that, please do that today. If you have questions about that, please see me after the service, because that's the most important thing you can do in your life. That's the first step of obedience in walking with God. You've got to have Jesus first, right? And after you come to Jesus, then Jesus will give you the power to live for him and help you to live uh, out his view of marriage in your own life, right? If you try to do this apart from Christ, it's hard to do that. You can't do this. You can only do this if Jesus is your guide and Jesus in your power and his strength. Amen? So remember, if you don't know Christ, please come and see me. If you like some prayer, Grail's here, and I'm here. We'd be glad to pray with you this morning, okay? Let's pray. Lord, we come and we praise you. We love you. And this morning, Lord, as we come this morning to just acknowledge it, we talked about sexual freedom and really, Lord, about marriage, the boundaries of marriage and the boundaries in, in relationships outside of marriage and what we're supposed to have. Lord, I pray that you be with us to give us wisdom in this area, Lord, that no one's trying to judge anyone, no one's trying to point fingers at anyone. Lord, we all struggle. We all have struggles. And so, Lord, this is just one of the sins that the Bible points out. This institution of marriage, which is so important to God, uh, so important. It kind of is the backbone and foundation of our society and everything, Lord. We have to get this right. And God instituted it for a reason. And say the way marriage works is the way, through God's principles that he set up, his standards. And so, if, well, Lord, we have anything that we're not doing right, maybe not treating our spouse right, 
not caring about them, not looking at them as a gift or precious or special. And maybe, Lord, we've defiled the marriage, marriage bed. Lord, we come this morning, we confess it, and just be open and honest. And, Lord, just confess it this morning. And you promise, Lord, if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just, and you will forgive us our sins, and you promise to purify us from all unrighteousness. That's you. The same standard that you have in marriage is also the promise to forgive when we mess up. That's your promise. That's who you are. You're God full of grace and mercy and forgiveness, Lord, and we come on bending knee to you. Not taking anything lightly. Not taking anything lightly. But Lord, as you tell us, as you convict us of our sin or anything in our hearts and minds, you tell us to come, but to come now and confess it as you reveal it to us. Lord, I pray that for each one of us. I pray, Lord, our hearts and minds would be bent on living for you and living in obedience to you in all areas of our life. And Lord, if we do get tripped up and if we do sin, that we would confess it right away so Lord, we can get back up and continue to live for you. Lord, I pray that none of us are in that place, Lord, where we're just beating ourselves up that we're terrible people, we're bad people, because that's not how you view any of us. But you love us. And we all have great value because we're made in the image of God and that we have great value because you sent your son to die on the cross. So to say we're not valuable to you is, is understatement. That you were willing to sacrifice your own son for us. So that we come to you in humility, asking you to check our hearts and minds and see in this area. Sometimes, Lord, we close the door on this. We don't even look at our own hearts and minds. And there's things in our hearts and minds we need to look at. Maybe flirtations at work or with the neighbor or somebody else. We need to check our own hearts and minds on those kind of things. The words that we use to our spouse, we need to check our hearts and minds. And Lord, convict us. Help us to confess it so we can be right with you. Not only right with you or right with our spouse, but we may be right not only in our husband-wife relationships, but right in boyfriend-girlfriend relationships, relationships outside of marriage. We need to be right in those. That we're living in obedience in all areas of our life. Lord, help us with that. Help each and every one of us that, Lord, we're all tempted in these areas. If we say we're not, we're, as First John 9, 9, if we say we're not sinner, we don't have these temptations, we're fooling ourselves. We're fooling ourselves. So, Lord, help us. Help us to be open. Help us to walk closely with you and yield on your strength and power. And, Lord, as you promised, as you did with the, uh, Isaiah, the children of Israel, that you promised to forgive us our sins. Say, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though there is red as crimson, they shall be white like wool, that you promised to forgive us. And that's the God that we have. And we come this morning, Lord, just surrendering our hearts and minds. And Lord, as we continue to worship you with this next song, let us just give our hearts and minds to you to realize the best walk we can have is in obedience to Jesus. The most joy we will find is being obedient to you and your word in all areas. That's including marriage. That's including marriage. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.